This episode is brought to you by Miro, the online collaborative whiteboard where distributed product teams get work done. Go from idea to execution using pre-built Kanban boards, sticky notes and retrospectives all on an infinite canvas. Learn more and try Miro for free. Visit Miro.com to get started. That's M-I-R-O.com. Welcome to the Product Podcast, brought to you by Product School. Here, you'll get fresh insight from the people at the very top of the tech companies who make the products we love. Remember, you can learn product management live online. Visit productschool.com to discover our new certificate path. There, you can also join the world's largest community of PMs and network with the leaders from these podcasts at our online events. There's something happening almost every day. Hey everyone, and uh, thank you for joining today's session on building for the next billion users. So in the next few minutes, I'd like to talk to you about uh, what exactly I mean by building for the next billion users. So first of all, a little bit of um, in-house management. Who am I? My name is Shreyas Deshmukh. I am a product manager at Google. Uh, I have previously worked at Microsoft uh, as a product manager and uh, have been involved with several startups too. Uh, my mantra in life is uh, product development is 5% science and 95% art, and only creativity can get you ahead of the race. Uh, having said that, let's move ahead into the agenda for today. So we'll largely be looking into three things when we talk about NBU or next billion users. The first question or the inquiry that we should have is, why are we interested in the next billion users? Uh, like, why do we really care about them and why now, right? The second one is who are these next billion users? What category of user group falls into the NBU? And the third and the last one is, okay, now that you've identified the fact that these are the next billion users, you know why do you want to build for them? How do you build for them? Like what are the guiding principles that will help you uh, build something for this uh, category of users? So jumping on to the first question here, which is why the NBU? Why should innovators like yourself care about the next billion users? So let me bring a topic from the basic economic principles, which is basically coined by Gregory Mankiw. Trade can make everyone better off. Now, what that means in a nutshell is increase in economic activity will propel the incomes and bring more opportunities to everybody. So that's why we're looking into this. Now, having established the fundamental economic principle, what you need to understand is the rising middle class. As the middle class grows, so too does the discretionary spending on shopping, e-commerce, and travel, and everything else. So just to recap, what I mean by this is with growing economies, we will see a rise in economic classes, and this will in turn result in wide-scale urbanization and giving rise to more business opportunities. So that's pretty much the reason why we care about the NBU. So our second question, which was basically who are these next billion users or what group makes the NBU population? So to define that, let's spend some time in looking at few examples here, okay? And what I want you to do for me is just look at these three groups that I'll pop up on the screen in a moment and tell me which of these make the NBU and which do not. All right, so here's the first one. Um, this is your Generation Z. There's a lot of buzz around this phrase altogether. 
so the front camera has created a world of opportunities and they have dominated the likes of TikTok, Instagram, uh, WhatsApp as well. Now this group has been literally brought up in a smartphone first environment and is even working and learning entirely online. Like there are people who are earning their degrees on Coursera online. They don't even go to school, right? So that's all of largely Generation Z. Of course, that's not a solid definition. You could have outliers and all of that, but that's a group uh, we can, uh, we're considering right now. Um, moving on to the next one, the novel users or the first time access to internet users. These are people who've primarily, who primarily come from the third world economies and are getting access to the internet in pretty much the second decade of the 21st century. They're now coming onto smartphones. They're kind of getting acquainted to stuff. Uh, they're getting used to like basics like messaging, uh, social interactions, and all sorts of other things. So that's another group. And lastly, this is very familiar, I'm sure, to most of the listeners right now, remote worker groups, also called as telecommuters in the present day. So they have been on a rise off late because of the pandemic. Their needs are focused around productivity and collaboration happens with modern communication tools such as Zoom and Slack. So the question which I asked you at the beginning of this slide was which of these groups do you feel constitute the NBU? Any answers for that? Well, you'd be surprised. All of them are. So there's no distinction, right? So you could focus on any of these and these will still be your next billion users. Having said that, I'd just like to elaborate my point a little bit more. The basic human needs don't change. So the, I, to identify the next billion users, you need to observe the world and understand where that major cohort of, under, of the user group lies. And that's what you go after. So it's not like a particular population in, um, in a market with a particular user need is the only one which makes NBUs. It could be like a couple of different cohorts. It's all about identifying and like slicing them out and then building for them. So the slide here, uh, which uh, I'm sure a lot of you would be familiar with, uh, this is the Maslow's hierarchy principle. So of basic needs basically, and you can, you can read the needs here. It's basic needs, psychological and self-fulfillment needs. And what it tries to say is these remain common across users or across human beings, you know? Like you'll have some biological safety needs, you'll have some friendship, companion related needs, you'll have self-actualization, creativity related needs. All of those will remain same. Their degree, their type might differ, but there's not much of difference in what the need might be. So basically what we need to do here is we need to de-exoticize these users if we are going to genuinely have a healthy global digital culture, they need to be humanized, understood, and kept in mind when designing inclusive platforms. So that's our job primarily, okay? So that's more on the second question that we had around like who exactly is the NBU and where do you find that cohort? Now the third question which we had was how to build for the NBU. Like what's different about these, right? So, and this is a perfect segue to talk about this question now that we have defined that the basic human needs remain same. So all that we need to find is like, what is that gap in the basic need for that given cohort? And how do you fill that? How do you build a product or a solution or a service which will help them um, solve that problem? Yeah. All right. So there are four key enablers 
that determine the solutioning for an NBU. And uh, you can read these here. It's basically infrastructure, affordability, user readiness, content and services. But let's look at a little deeper and what do these mean? So the first one being infrastructure. It's basically very simple stuff like network coverage, network performance, other enabling infrastructure things like are there telecom poles, it's uh, like um, uh, structured in, in a given uh, location and stuff like that. The next one is affordability. What are, at what cost is your user going to use that infrastructure which is already provided? So some of the things you could look at is what's the mobile phone package like, like what's the mobile tariff? Uh, what are the handset prices? Like, do you have only high tier handsets or are there something um, like some cheap handsets which are also available? Next one would be something like Wi-Fi prices. Like, uh, is, it, is it affordable? Is it uh, easily accessible? That's another thing, right? And um, moving on to the third enabler, which is user readiness. So basic skills of mobile phone operation. Does your user group feel comfortable about say, using a mobile phone like um, doing basic tasks on those devices, how ready are they? Another example which I like to quote here is trusting that piece of hardware or software with information which you may consider sensitive. And it is a very different gamut of um, things which, which people consider as sensitive or not. So for most of your users, say banking and financial services could be extremely sensitive and they may or may not trust um, an application or a mobile device with something like that. So that's all a part of your user readiness. And the last one is uh, content and services. So availability of local relevant content, example, local news, events, festivals, jokes, whatever, right? So all of that will come under this bucket. So if you've got something which is more relevant to your audience, to your user group, that's when uh, they'll stick onto the platform and they can leverage it. Otherwise, it just doesn't fit. So these are the enablers for your NBU group. Now, having established the enablers, we can now look at the principles which will help you build for this user group. So let's look at them one by one. So the first one is uh, identifying limiting factors. So what are these factors that doesn't let the user fulfill their needs today? Um, is it because they don't have a smartphone? Is it because um, there is a regulatory um, pitfall somewhere? Is it because they don't have the means to complete a task, whatever that might mean, right? So you need to identify what is the limiting factor. And that's basically an entry point towards identifying what you could solve. The next one is removing barriers from incumbent. So there is never a point wherein there is no solution in the market. There always is. It could be definitely not the best solution but uh, it will be a patchwork which will make things happen, right? So what you need to identify is what are the barriers uh, in the currently available solution that need to be removed to make it better. One of the examples here could be language. So say if you've got uh, Google News, which is available in say some rural part um, in, a, in a third world country, maybe people don't understand it because it's all in English, but if you could provide them in a vernacular or local language, and that might just help. So that's how you remove barriers from the incumbent. The third one is creating a differentiator or a unique selling point. 
Um, this could be same as above. Like it could basically be okay. You've understood the barrier. You remove it, and that becomes your differentiator. Till probably somebody comes and knocks you off, and then there are other uh, ways in business how you could uh, manage your competition. But then that's going to be the third bucket here in the principal sector, which is what's your differentiation. And the last one is being ubiquitous or being omnipresent. So you need to understand that you need to be present both online and offline, or basically in multiple media. Because even when probably a solution is uh, a technical one, a digital one, something which is entirely online, the user group or the market that you are catering to may not be online at all. So how do you ensure that you bring them here? How do you make sure that there is a voice which is off your platform, still speaking to your customer group, and bringing them over to the uh, product that you've built, right? So with that, let's look at a few case studies that will bring these principles to life. All right. So the first one is Barber Jobs. So Barber Jobs is a digital job marketplace. Targeting the blue-collar job market in India. Now, conventionally, the blue-collar jobs are categorized in the informal sector, and there are little to no regulations in these jobs. You'd be surprised that in India, as per the Economic Survey of 2018-19, almost 93%—that's a staggeringly high number—of the total Indian workforce is actually informal. So, 93% of the workforce in India informal, as per 2018-19 Economic Survey. And that's your billion. That's your next billion right there, right? So, well, Baba Jobs did a smart thing. They rode on this digitization wave. So, where people were buying smartphones because it was no longer a luxury; it had become a commodity. So, everyone had a smartphone. Everyone had internet. Uh, it wasn't the greatest of speeds, but then that wasn't really a limiting factor. And they digitized the demand of these jobs, which was always present, right? I mean. If you are running a factory, you need factory laborers and workers, so that demand was there. They just digitized it, so they just brought it on a platform, and the supply already had smartphones, so it was like a, a good marriage between that demand and supply. And uh, these were internet-enabled smartphones, so it was uh, obviously a lot more easier. So to remove the barriers from the incumbent, as we saw in the previous uh, slide about the principles. Um, this was so the incumbent in the situation is a word of mouth referral. Uh, the the fast paced hiring process is what they used as their USP. Okay, so they understood that the incumbent is word of mouth referral. I can call a friend of mine and say that hey, I have a new job for you. Why don't you come and join? And that could take some time. Um, how do you beat that? You just make it super fast and super easy to apply for a job and get that eventually, right? And uh, the Result or basically the time to get a job was as quick as 20 minutes. So imagine applying for a job at 4 p.m. and 4:20 you are at the job, or you basically have a confirmation that okay you could start like tonight or tomorrow, whatever, right? And that's that's really the the selling point. That's the differentiator right there. And again, they they were vernacular first. It was available in in, in local languages in India. And you got the quick results. So that's one great case study about how you build uh, build for a billion users or the next billion users. Learning from there and moving on to our next case study, uh, which is Tokopedia. So Tokopedia is one of the largest unicorns in Indonesia, and uh, it is an e-commerce, fintech, and digital products platform built for Indonesia. Uh, similar to Baba Jobs, Tokopedia realized that the access gap could be bridged with technology. 
Now, they had an audacious dream of making the locals shop online on an e-commerce platform, but their whole marketing efforts were actually not online. So when they started, they literally started buying spaces on magazines, newspapers, and in cinema, because that is where their audience was. So this is the whole point about being ubiquitous and being omnipresent. And uh, again, fully localized in Indonesian, Indonesian language for use. And that's where they kind of tapped into it and got to be uh, like the next, next billion for the next billion users in the in Indonesian market. And last one, uh, our good old friend Zoom, which is what we're using right now as well. So Zoom is a perfect example of how users are okay to live with a subpar experience um, till they experience something which is much better. So I'd like to quote Henry Ford here. So he mentioned once about innovation that if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. And though Zoom feels like a faster horse, it is not. It is entirely different as a product. It solves a very fundamental problem, which is having reliable video conferencing. And they just do it. Now, Zoom focused on one problem and improved the solution exponentially. Uh, but an advanced tech is not sufficient to win the business. So though they solved a real problem, but that was not it. They had to do something more than that. So they've been splurging on marketing in both online and offline media. Again, uh, even when you could say that Zoom's majority user base comes from a developed market, uh, which is educated, which is online already, but they still knew that there are lots of eyes that they could get outside of these digital platforms as well. And uh, there are tons of banners, hoardings, which you would see in airports, on highways and freeways that Zoom's banners, uh, like Zoom's advertisements are um, still on. Now, to further the growth, they also capitalized on the third party integrations and uh, which technically just fueled their whole ecosystem because now more and more users could just integrate with Zoom into their own SaaS models or whatever other softwares they're building. And that just kind of um, uh, gives more power to their uh, ecosystem altogether. And uh, yeah, that's our case study on Zoom. With that, uh, thank you so much. And that's the end of our session on building for the next billion users. I hope this was useful for you and you learned something today. And uh, that's all from my side. Thank you again. Have a good one. This episode was brought to you by Miro, the online collaborative whiteboard where distributed product teams get work done. Go from idea to execution using pre-built Kanban boards, sticky notes and retrospectives all on an infinite canvas. Learn more and try Miro for free. Visit Miro.com to get started. That's M-I-R-O.com. Thank you for listening to the Product Podcast. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. For more product insights, head over to productschool.com.